I hope you had a good meal. I hope you're ready to uh, talk just a little bit more about God's Word. I have uh, got up here on the screen what forgiveness looks like. Uh, you know, forgiveness is hard for a lot of people. It's very difficult, and I've got a picture of a scary monster, the red eyes looking out from the dark. Sometimes forgiveness looks like that. Yeah, over here I've got a picture of some guy climbing a crazy you know, sometimes it looks just unscalable and unimaginable to uh, overcome that. What does forgiveness look like to you? Maybe you've been hurt by somebody gossiping about you or talking bad about you. Maybe you've been hurt by a loss that you suffered in your life. Forgiveness looks different to all of us, okay? Um, this is what forgiveness looks like to me. That was Jacob's car. Um, the lady that hit him had been at Windstar, was partying with her friends. Her blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit plus marijuana. She was going south on the northbound side of I-35, highway speeds, and there was a pickup in front of Jacob, and we know this because of the police report, he doesn't remember any of it, and that pickup Dodge, she hit the view mirror on the pickup, which hit the front of Jacob's car when she plowed into it. That's what forgiveness looks like to me. That's hard. It was hard for me. And I want to say, I didn't tell you guys last time, or this morning, which I should have. Jacob did live. And uh, some of you didn't know that. He did live, and uh, he has... He has regained an incredible amount of his ability. He's not in a wheelchair anymore. He's able to walk. He's begun running some on a treadmill. Uh, he will have lifelong consequences from this, but uh, he's going to be able to live a reasonably normal life. Praise God for that. Amen? Um, but what about the woman that did this to him? You know, I'm asked two questions about him all the time. One, how is he doing? And two, what happened to the person that hit him? You look at that wreck, you think she was hurt? Not hardly. Not hardly. She cracked a collarbone. Uh, other than that, physically, she wasn't injured. Uh, those of you who've been involved with the legal system know that this stuff takes time. It doesn't happen immediately. There is not immediate consequences for what happened. I want to talk to you about forgiveness, and this is a lesson that I've learned inch by inch in my life. And uh, so let's get into it. To start with, I think it's helpful if we're going to need to forgive somebody to understand what forgiveness is not. Okay, number one, forgiveness is not revenge. It does not include revenge. You can't get back at them and forgive them. Those aren't the same thing. You cannot include vengeance at all in any way in forgiveness. That's not the way it works in the Bible. Number two, oh, well, before we get to number two, Jesus said don't pay evil for evil. Do not return evil for evil. You can never, as a Christian, you know, I, I teach in a private Christian school. I teach in the high school. And we were talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, right after that, he gives his, the Lord's Prayer, and in it he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? We all pray that, okay? That's the only thing he commented on. At the end of the prayer, 
he said, because if you don't forgive people their sins against you, God won't forgive you. And I taught that in class, and I had a student, a young man, from a strong Christian family, and he said, it can't be right. That can't be right. I mean, they, it, they just get away with it. That can't be right. But it is right. What Jesus said, it's non-optional. And a Christian never, ever, under any circumstances, no matter what anyone thinks, has the right to take vengeance for the things that have been done to them. Number two, the offender can't uncommit the sin. You can't put that ice cream back. You can do it through the magic of PowerPoint, but you can't do it in real life. Okay? Once it falls, it falls. Once someone's done something to you, they cannot undo it. Repentance doesn't undo it. Forgiveness doesn't undo it. It can't be undone. No matter what happens to this lady that hit Jacob, we can never undo that. Okay? He's never going to get a new spleen. He just isn't. That can't be fixed. And you need to know when you forgive somebody or when you face the issue of forgiveness, this doesn't mean that the problems or the consequences of the problems are going to go away. They're still going to remain in life. Number three, forgiveness does not require a memory eraser. I don't know if you've seen Men in Black movie, but they've got this little gizmo there and they push that button and, zzz, and everybody forgets what happened the last few seconds. You can't do that. You can't get rid of the memory. I know people always say, you've got to forgive and forget. But I'm going to tell you, that's a misunderstanding of forgiveness. God is omniscient. That means He knows everything. Do you think He really goes, oh, I forgot what they did. I know, God doesn't forget that it happened. We'll talk about the biblical type of forgiveness and forgetting here in a minute. But don't think when you forgive someone that you're going to forget what they did happen. You won't. Okay? I'll tell you what, if I live to be 150 years old, I will never forget what happened to my son. It's not going to happen. Number three, forgiveness is not the removal of all consequences. Sometimes we say, well, you forgive them, you've got to act like nothing ever happened, and everything's got to be... You know, sometimes there's consequences to sin that can't be removed. I can forgive this lady who hit Jacob. She may still go to jail for it. You can't remove all the consequences. You may forgive someone of adultery, but the marriage may be over. Okay? Consequences to sin that cannot be removed sometimes by... And God, does, God forgives us of our sin, right? But He doesn't remove all the consequences for them. And it's a misunderstanding. But I'll tell you, the biggest misunderstanding that keeps us from forgiving people, and that's this. We think to forgive someone means we have to go give them a big hug and say, I feel good about what you did, and I feel good about you. It's okay. It's not okay. Sin is not okay. Hurting people is not okay. And it's not okay because it's over. It's not okay. And I can't tell you the people I've talked to through the years in counseling who've gone, well, I just can't forgive someone because I don't feel that way. Forgiveness is not feeling okay 
a, that they did whatever they did. That stops a lot of people from forgiving. So when you talk about forgiveness, it's not getting even, it's not undoing the wrong, it's not forgetting that it happened, it's not removing all the consequences, and it's not feeling good about what happened. So what is it? What is forgiveness? The Bible says it this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He says you and I are supposed to forgive the same way God forgives. We're supposed to give even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, how does God forgive us? You know, you've got, for the sake of this illustration here, you've got a sinner and you've got you, and you've got God. When a sinner commits a sin against you, they do something wrong to you. The Bible teaches that that sin brings forth the wrath of God. You remember what King David said after his deal with Bathsheba and killing her husband? Psalm 51, he said, Against you, you only have I sinned. You think that's right? You think David only sinned against God? I think Uriah's parents would beg to differ with that, don't you? You think he sinned against somebody other than God? What David is saying here is this, is that regardless of what they did to you, ultimately their sin is against God. And his wrath comes down on sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. God has no tolerance for sin. God cannot allow sin in heaven. That's why sin separates us from God. But you see, the problem with forgiveness is there's wrath coming from somewhere else too. There's not just wrath coming from God. There's wrath coming from me because of what you did to me. I'm mad about it. I'm just all upset about it. I'm not okay with it. So how does God forgive? Well, we know. For Christ's sake, God forgave. God looks at that sinner and he says, you know what? You ought to pay for that. That's what we call justice. Somebody's going to have to pay for that, right? And Jesus, in the justice and mercy of God, steps up and says, I'll pay for it. We talked about that this morning. He said, I'll do it. I'll take the penalty. I'll pay for it. And then God, in His justice, looks at Jesus on the cross and He looks at the sinner and He says, Okay, your debt has been paid. And I accept the death of Jesus as payment for what happened. Now here's the rub. Jesus didn't just die for vertical sin. Jesus died for horizontal sin too. He says, you forgive for Christ's sake, just like God forgives for Christ's sake. Now I look at this and I go, yeah, but, but that's not fair. No, it's not fair. But you know, they ought to be arrested for what they did. Jesus was arrested. They ought to be beaten for what they did. They ought to be crucified. Jesus was crucified. He paid. Now God looks at that and says, on the basis of what my son did, I'll forgive. How dare I 
look at them and go, the death of Jesus may have been good enough for God, but it's not good enough for me. How dare I? Jesus paid for sin. That's why if I refuse to forgive sin, God won't forgive mine. Why? Because I'm rejecting the sacrifice for sin. Jesus is a sacrifice for sin, and if I won't accept that, God says, I've rejected that, and He won't forgive me. You see, Jesus actually paid for all sin. And it doesn't matter what they deserve. What matters is what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, who paid for every cost, no matter what it is, with sin. The way God worded it is this, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He's going to be merciful. Do you want God's mercy? This is where we all shake our heads, yes. Say amen, right? I need God's mercy every single day. Don't you? We need the mercy of God. He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. You know why I need mercy from God? Because of my unrighteousness. That's right. Now I'll stand up here in a nice jacket and look pretty for y'all, but the truth is I've got unrighteousness. God knows that, but he's merciful to my unrighteousness. And my sins and iniquities he doesn't remember against me. You see, the thing about it is that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a promise. It's a promise that one person makes to another person. And what that does, understanding that removes the difficulty, well, not the difficulty, but it removes the impossibility of forgiveness. Because I can keep a promise regardless of how I feel. Have you ever made a promise you didn't feel like keeping? All of you parents have done that, right? <laughs> yes, I told you we'd do this. Okay. You can keep a promise whether you feel like it or not. And that's the way God worded His forgiveness as a promise. And that promise involves a point and it involves a process, okay? There is a point where you make the promise. There is a point where you look at what was done to you and you say, you know what? I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. That's a promise. Then... There's the process of keeping that promise. It's one thing to make the promise. It's something else to keep it. And that promise, keeping that promise, involves three things I want to talk about. Number one, I won't bring it up to you anymore. If I've promised to forgive you, I don't keep going, yeah, you better let me look at your phone. I, I, I don't trust you because of what you, you remember what you did? You remember what you did, okay? Now, I forgave you. We saved the marriage but I don't trust you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't continuing to bring it up. In counseling with married couples, I run into this all the time. They do what I call gunny sacking. They grab all the stuff you've done wrong and they throw it in the gunny sack. When we get in a fight, we dump that bag out on the table and say, look at all this stuff you did to me. And I see some grins because you know what I'm talking about. Forgiveness, if I forgive you, I don't keep bringing it up. God doesn't forgive you that way, does He? He doesn't say to you, hey, listen, I forgave you for college, but I hadn't forgot. That's not the way God forgives. Number two, 
I won't bring it up to other people. I'm not going to go talk about it to other people. Listen, you just need to know, uh, I've known Brent a long time, and he's a good old boy, but, uh, you know, there, there was a time. <laughs> uh, just, just, just to be warned, there was a time. That's not right, and I don't have anything against Brent. But a lot of times we want to, well, just want to ask your advice about something. You know, I've got this situation, and we couch it in these holy terms, and I just need some help when really we're just not forgiving. We're just not keeping that promise. We're telling other people, and we're running somebody down in a respectable way to do it. Okay? When I came here today, I knew I was going to stand up in front of a whole bunch of sinners. I knew that. People have done lots and lots of stuff that you'd be humiliated and embarrassed and ashamed to stand up here and tell. In fact, if we knew, we probably wouldn't let you in. Right? Okay? And uh, that's true of me too. It's true of all of us. But God didn't tell me. Now listen. Okay, Brother Mike, uh, you get there. I forgave all these people, but let me let, let me let you know what they did. He didn't tell me that stuff. I don't know. I don't need to know. Okay? Number three, this is the hard one. I won't stew on it in my own mind. I won't keep running it over. And You say, yeah, but you don't know what happened. You don't know how hard it is. I'm going to tell you something. Just, just to be really honest with you, for me, this has gotten harder about this deal with Jacob. It's harder today than it was the day after the crash. I don't know why. It's weird. It's hard. Not to let that just, you know, I drive by, drive past exit 93 going north on I-35, and that's hard. Hard not to keep, not for it to come in my mind. And you know, what we do to keep that promise you may have to push it out of your mind 60 times in 60 seconds. But if you'll do that faithfully, eventually it'll only be 59 times in 60 seconds. And if you keep doing it, it'll get to where it's 58 times in 60 seconds. Now, I'm not saying you'll ever forget it happened, but it won't run in your mind all the time. You won't think about it all the time. You won't be wounded by it over and over and over all the time. You'll put it out of your mind as far as holding it against them. Those three promises seem simple, don't they? But they're hard. Okay, Christianity's not complicated. It's just difficult. It's really, really challenging to do, okay? How do you do that? Number one, pray for them. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said that. Do you love your enemies? hard to do. Really hard to do. You got any real enemies? Pray for them. People that persecute you. Now listen, it's probably easier for me in some ways because I know that woman didn't get up that morning and think, I am going to see if I can kill Jacob McCorkle today. She didn't do that. She was just thoughtless and immature and selfish. It wasn't an intent to kill my son. But you know what? God says to pray for your enemies and the people who persecute you. I saw this morning on Facebook a picture, a video 
of Ukrainian Christians standing in the subway, which is where they go when the bombs are dropped, praying while Russian soldiers were coming into Kiev. That's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. Christians pray for those who persecute them. It's not optional. You can do that. And I want you to know, I can tell you from personal experience, when I go to God and I ask Him to bless that lady, it changes you. Changes you in your heart. Changes who you are. Changes the kind of person that you are. Number two, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know what it means to bless someone? To bless someone means to speak good to them or about them. You don't run them down. You don't talk bad about them. You don't talk bad to them. You don't say, okay, I'll forgive them, but I'll sit on the other side of the church where I don't ever have to shake their hand and I don't ever have to talk to them. And if they start walking by me, I can act real busy getting something out of the purse or whatever. That's, that's not the way we bless people. We bless people by speaking kindly to them and kindly about them. God commanded you to do that about the people who have persecuted you and wronged you in your life. Number three, be kind, tender, giving. You know what it means to be tender-hearted? You can choose that. Tender-hearted. My wife's family has a, a phrase they use. Uh, you know, every family, I guess, has their own little phraseologies and stuff. They, they call it nice-nasty. You know what nice-nasty is? Hi, Harry. <laughs> I can't avoid shaking your hand. I don't have to like it. Tenderheartedness. When Jordan was about 18 months old, well, she was probably two years, probably at her birthday, we went to have her picture taken. And we went to J.C. Pink or wherever it was, and we had to wait, and we were out in the lobby there, and there was a little box of toys, and she would get the toys, and there was only five or six toys in it. And she would get them, and she would throw it into the box. And then she'd get another and throw it into the box and go get them and that. And she did that, entertaining herself. And uh, this other lady and her daughter, big kid, probably five years old, came in. And in retrospect, I should have told Jordan, hey, take some of those toys over and give it to that girl. I didn't think about that. And so Jordan threw a toy in the box, and that little girl comes and gets a toy out of the box. Well, that's okay because she needs something to play with. Jordan throws another toy in the box. Little girl comes and gets it, and another toy, and she comes and gets it. After just a little while, Jordan's standing there with one toy, and she looks at the toy, and she looks at the box. She knows what's going to happen if she throws the toy. Okay. And they stood there and looked at each other for a minute, and then the little girl came over and just grabbed the toy in Jordan's hand and took it anyway. And Jordan turned around crying, arms up, and ran to me. At that moment, my heart toward my daughter was tender. You know what I'm talking about. The tenderness. Now, my heart toward that other little girl and her mama was not tender. You know the difference. Okay? You can choose tender heart. You can choose tenderheartedness. Be kind, yes, but back that kindness up with tenderheartedness. Number four, 
whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. You know, your, your brain is just a part of your body, just like your hand is. God, do you think God accountable for how you use his hand? Yeah, I can use it for good. I can hand you something. I can hold the door open for you. Or I can use it for bad. I can wad it up in a fist and poke you in the nose. Okay? God holds me accountable for how I use this hand. Your brain's part of your body. He holds you accountable for how you use your brain, too. The things you think about. Now, my dad told me as I was growing up, and he was talking about the purity kind of thing that you guys are fixing to do. He said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Okay? And what he meant was this. Thoughts are going to come into your mind. It may not be good thoughts and may not be right thoughts, but you don't have to think about them. You can push them out and you can think about different stuff. Okay? That's what you choose to do. You might say, but this is so horrible. The thing that I had to go through is so bad, how could I think good? You can. There's good that comes out of everything. Think about the very worst thing that could possibly happen in this situation and then start to think intentionally, okay, what good things could come from that? And you know, you'd be surprised. You can find some good stuff that could come from the very worst thing you face. About two months after um, the crash, Jacob was home. He was still in a wheelchair. And to get him to bed at night, he was still on pain medication, and he had to have a lot of help. And it was probably an hour, hour and a half process every night to get him to bed. And he was still hurting a lot. And one night we got him in bed, and Carrie was kind of weeping. And uh, he said, what's wrong, Mom? And she said, oh, I just hate that you're having to go through this. And he said, you don't wish it didn't happen, did you? And she said, uh, yeah, <laughs> I do. I wish it didn't happen. And I said, why'd you ask her that? And he said, oh, I would never change this. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Dad, I've always believed in God all of my life. But now I know. And it's different. You know, he's got all the same faults he did when he got hit. But he knows and he's different. And I'm going to tell you something. C.S. Lewis used a phrase to describe what he went through when his wife died. And he called it a severe mercy. And I'm going to tell you, in the most severe things you can ever go through, there's mercy. There's mercy and there's goodness. In the most severe things. The worst trouble the world has ever seen was the death of the Son of God. And look at the good that's come from that. There's good in every situation. You can choose to see the good. So, what about justice? What's going to happen? I mean, if I just forgive, if we all just forgive, they just get away with it. That's not fair. People ask me pretty often what, whatever has happened to her. She had a pre-trial hearing in January, January the 11th, finally, since the problem in April. 
And at the pretrial hearing, after it was over, the DA called me and said, we offered a plea bargain. I said, okay. She said, the plea bargain is 10 years probation. And has to pay a fine, I think. She was, uh, she had plead guilty to the uh, intoxication assault. And uh, 10 years probation, said she will probably do some jail time, but that's not for certain. The DA was going to start at six months, and her lawyer will start at zero, and they'll end up somewhere in between and have to pay a $6,000 fine. Is that justice? Is that fair? You can look at it and I can go, well, you know, 10 years probation, that's a long time. Maybe you have to go to jail. Listen, this is a single mom in her early 30s, has about a four or five-year-old child. Is it fair to take her away from that kid for 10 years? I don't know. Truth is, I don't know what justice is. I don't know. I don't know if she'd be better off, if that child would be better off with someone else raising her than this woman, or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if she's repented. You know, we've not heard one word from her. That makes sense to me. I'm sure her attorney has told her to not contact us. Last thing he wants is her to call us and start confessing to stuff that we get on stand and, and talk about. But I don't know. Maybe she's felt terrible. Maybe her life has changed because of this. Maybe she couldn't care less. Maybe she's been out and got drunk many times since. I don't know. You know what I do know? God knows. God knows what's just. God knows what's right. And I don't have to. It's not my job to know. It's my, not my job to determine what's justice or fair or right. It's God's. And God does know. That's why he said, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto it. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So here's the deal. Suppose she does zero jail time. She pays her fine. She stays on probation for 10 years. And she goes about living her merry life. And she's not a bit sorry. She keeps going and partying with her friends. She keeps getting drunk, maybe even drives drunk again. Did she get away with it? Do you think she got away with it? No, she didn't get away with it. You see, God is the great balancer. He's the great, you, you know the scales of justice? God's going to balance those scales someday. She will not get away with it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He'll take care of that. Suppose she does repent and she really turns her life around and she's forgiven by God. Did she get away with it? No. Jesus paid for it. He didn't get away with it any more than I get away with my sin. Jesus paid for it. Which, by the way, is what we pray for. I know a lot of you have prayed for our family and for Jacob, and I want to say, hey, thank you. That, that means more to us than you can ever know. I'm going to say if you haven't, you need to pray for the lady who did this. 
not just us. God will balance everything. So that removes my responsibility and my need to make sure that everything turns out right. In, my, in our house, we call it the fairness doctrine because everything's got to be fair. If you get a piece this size, they get a piece this size, right? And that's the fairness doctrine. Here, fair. I don't have to worry fair. And that removes a lot of that weight from us. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. You want to be a son of God? You want to be a child of God? You love the people that wrong you. You pray for them. You help them. You don't make sure they get theirs. You don't make sure they understand how bad they are. That's God's business. Your and my business is to be like God, like this. But what if they don't repent? What if they say, I don't care? That's hard. You know, uh, for me, forgiving has not been undoable. But I'm going to tell you something. If that woman were to call and tell me, hey, you know what? I'm sorry your son lived. Hey, that'd be, it'd be hard, wouldn't it? What do you do when someone doesn't repent? The reality is some of you here face that. I know. I, I don't know what it is, but some of you face someone who's wronged you and they don't feel bad about it at all. What do you do? Do you still have to forgive? I've heard people say, well, I don't have to forgive if they don't repent. God doesn't forgive people that don't repent, neither do I. Really? Remember Jesus hanging on the cross, looking down at the people at the foot of the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think those people had repented for hanging Jesus on the cross? Well, yeah, but they didn't know. These people knew. I don't have to forgive people that know and don't repent. Remember Stephen? They're killing him because he's a Christian, and while he is being pummeled with stones, he looks to God and says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. If you won't forgive, God won't forgive you. That's the bottom line. Now, you can't grant judicial forgiveness. You may forgive them, and God eternally punish them for what they've done. But that's His business. It's not yours. It's not mine. Our business is to be like Stephen. It's to be like Jesus. It's to say, Father, forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge. Pray that they'll repent. Pray that God will bless them. Speak good about them and good to them. Don't kick them while they're down. Don't push them down. But trust God. God will make things right in the end. The threefold promise. Don't bring it up to them. Don't bring it up to others. And don't stew on it in your own mind. You can do those things. No matter what has happened to you, you can make and keep that promise. Anyone can. And you do that by praying for them, blessing them, being tender-hearted, and focusing on the good. That's the message I have for you today. The message is you can forgive. You can. And you have to. So if you have not forgiven someone, if you know what shelf you've got them on at the house, and you've just been avoiding dealing with that, today's the day to do it. Make the promise and keep the promise. You can do that no matter how you feel. 
You can do that no matter what they've done. You can make the promise, and you can keep the promise. Sometimes we need help. I tell you, we've gotten a lot of help, my family has, from fellow Christians. I've thought, I, I've thought a lot about people who go through what we went through by themselves. There's some people don't have church friends. Some people don't have friends. We have been overwhelmed by the love and support. We've gotten hundreds of cards, calls and texts from people all over the world. We got a card a couple of months ago from a Catholic church in South America saying, we just want you to know we're praying for Jacob every week for a year. How'd they even hear about that? I don't know. I'm telling you, we have been overwhelmed with love from people all over the world. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need to stand up in front of somebody and say, you know what, it's hard for me to forgive, but I want to do it. Help me. That's why we offer this invitation. If you need help making and keeping that promise, please come to the front where we stand and sing.